A theme song for the Gear Podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Troy Nababan. My name is Leon Todd. It is fantastic to be here. We hope you've all been having a great time. How have you been, Troy? Mate, life's good. Can you see me clear, clearer than you've ever seen me before? You are as though your arms are wide open. We're the ones that open unveil the stream light. That's one of the, the very first videos I remember seeing as a kid where I knew like what a guitar solo was because there's a bit of a, <laughs> there solo, is a solo in that, that yeah. song. Hey, mm. And I just remember the whole video just thinking that must be fun. Like whatever, you know, like there's the whole, they're in a field at some point and, yep. you know, there's a lot of arms which are very widely open, but the solo in that, you know, not many, not many songs had solos at the time. Good now, on you, Mark. Now, back in those days, that was like human clay. I want to say 2001-ish, give or take a little bit. But in uh, back in the olden days, they used to have um, advertisements for albums when they came out. Do you remember that on TV? Yeah, so yeah. that was my exposure to Creed because there was always that um, video that played. And immediately, kind of like now, when you see an advertisement for something, you think it's a big deal. So you have to get involved. So I'll be, I'll be the voiceover, UB Scott Stack. <laughs> the award-winning album, Human Clay, featuring the singles, My Sacrifice. I can't remember how my sacrifice goes. They could do my sacrifice. Do what if? Water off, water off, water off. There's that one. That and was cool. The smash single with arms wide open. Get Creed, human Yeah, that was the ad. And yeah. it was Oh, man. Oh, and the other one I always remember was Californication. Oh, yeah. When that came out, that that felt like every 30 minutes there was a, the new album from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, <laughs> and then the same song. So, uh, And the Newsboys, remember that one? Yeah, that's we're getting we're getting into some deep cuts now. Yeah. So yeah, that was a strange. If you TV thought AFL one. was off off putting, then uh, advertisements from the late uh, early two thousands, and then Holy Grail playing as the AFL theme song. Yep, footy song, the ultimate footy song, the ultimate footy song. But um, what do you what do you think? Just tangent on top of a tangent. What do you think is the greatest grand final performance ever? <laughs> Mate. We all know it's secretly meatloaf, but aside from that. Oh, that sort of performance. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, 2018 grand final. Oh, it's obviously Dom the 2018 Sheed. grand final. Dom well, Sheed. Chewy, and left straight through. Uh, People were frothing that um, Robbie Williams one. Did you come to my place to watch the grand final last year? Maybe. Did I? I don't. Oh, yeah, because I made burgers. Remember I made burgers? That's right. The burgers were the highlight. But do you know what I remember is um, I was logged on onto KO to watch it, but the, the pre-show thing- it just didn't play for whatever. I was on the wrong channel. That's right. That's so I missed right. Robbie Williams in his pink suit, which everyone's like, oh my God, Robbie Williams. That was a bit a bit unfortunate. I'll never go back and watch it as well, just out of protest. But um, Yeah. People who love Robbie Williams are an energy. Mm. And I can appreciate, I think in my later life, I can appreciate that what Robbie Williams does, probably not everybody could do. But at the same time, 
he's uh, he's the John Mayer of entertaining frontman. <laughs> yeah, I like that song. Um, I've I've played it uh, a little bit. Um, when a waterfall, she offers me protection, lot of love and affection. Whether I'm right or wrong, that one. You know that one. It's I'm the loving angels instead. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. His is his version of Better Man. Well, his song Better Man is that the better Better Man than. Better Man? No, I probably like Better Man more. I'm not like a huge um, uh, Pearl Jam guy, but that's a, that's a decent song. But yeah. I mean, the, the best better song is obviously Better by the Screaming Jets. Correct. Correct. Don't we all love that one? Shout out to friend of the podcast, Steve Judd, for that one. <laughs> yeah, I played that with him um, a few months ago and he hates it, refuses to play it. And then I was just like, oh, the time was right. So we played it, but it was really slow. And I said to him, right. afterwards, yeah, you play that really slow. And he said, yeah, it's because I just kind of forgot how it goes. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's, That's fair enough. You played it fine. It was great. That's um, absolutely fair enough. I feel like we're hitting all the spots. Let me know, go back a little bit. I've, I do have a new light. I'm really, really happy about that. It's the Lytra Glow. Thank you very much. I've closed the window. So, set up. I actually also focused the webcam in a slightly better position um, right next to my um, Prince pop vinyl uh, or my three Princes. And, um, man, I'm just rocking. I'm just loving, just loving life. You know what I mean? You're loving the life of a YouTuber, aren't you, Troy? Oh, mate, I'm just getting ready to make those big dollars on, uh, on advertising. And I don't know. Well, you tell me. Hundreds of cents. Hundreds and hundreds of cents. Um, yeah, it looks good. And hopefully my audio is more acceptable this week oh, with this appropriate amazing. microphone placement. Sounds incredible. Which you helped me set up. So with that, I'm going to just jump straight in before we go. Ragdoll has a new single coming out. On Friday. It's really? Called, it's called Sky's Limit, Troy. Have you heard it? I've heard it. I, th I think I heard that song five years ago. I think you've heard that song more than anyone else alive, seeing as you produced and mixed it. That's correct. Um, and everything else about it. Well, you so. listen to your stuff quite a bit once you do it, though. I reckon, um, not like in a sniff in your own farts way, but you know, you like to, you like to, to know it's good. I like to make sure I actually know how to play the songs and I like to try and practice singing harmonies. Mm -hmm. So that's my excuse, actually. It's just, you know, sometimes I like the songs. We're, oh, so we're playing in Melbourne next week as well. So we're finally, finally playing Letting Go. Really? Yeah. That's and we were rehearsing it last night and we all looked at each other and we were like, why haven't we been doing this song? It smashes. That's the, um, the real groovy one, right? uh that's wait what's the, the, the double the double kick one? Oh, the fast one the one that you were recording until five in the morning oh wait the ADA, ada on that song yeah ada mp1 on that one so there you go if anybody awesome. wants to hear actually hear my ada recorded somehow uh go and listen to the ragdoll song letting go but yeah we have yeah. a new single coming out called that's exciting limit finally and yeah finally we tracked it ages ago and you we know, tracked it five years ago sort of so <sighs> Are you okay for me to, to talk about the progression of the- Mate, go straight into it because- Let me just- uh, It's it's fresh again for me, having not having had it on the <clears> shelf for so long. Well, let's let's just briefly talk about some ragdoll. We'll talk about some gear stuff on the track and we can briefly talk about the mix if anyone's interested. But um, when I moved into this current studio that I'm in right now that you can all see behind me, which was in- 2018 started 2018 wow. um the first project that i did in here to test that the studio was actually functional and usable um and well for drums in particular was to do some ragdoll songs because you know me and the boys you know just get the get the crew in the wrecking crew 
they destroyed all my shit. That's why I call them the wrecking crew. No, not really. But um, we tracked the drums for that upstairs. Um, The very, very first song we did was Rust, which came out a couple of years ago now in 2020. No, 2019. 2019. Yeah. But what we did was we tracked sort of two songs every couple of months for that year. So I reckon we ended up doing about uh, seven songs, I think. Um, for drums over the course of that time. Um, and then in between tracking drums, like Leon and I would put some guitars on bits. Like Leon would come to the studio on like a, a Friday morning usually and we mess around. There's actually clips of those recording sessions on your YouTube channel. And coincidentally, they popped up on my YouTube like homepage not that long ago. So yeah, I watched a few right. of those. So that, that's quite quite funny. And um, yeah, so we, we tracked a bunch of stuff and then kind of, I wouldn't say it stagnated, but it was just a bit like, all right, like, let's finally get this stuff finished. And so 2019, I remember like the first couple of months of 2019, we put bass on all the songs and then we started to track vocals. So we did the vocals for Rust and we did the vocals for this song, Sky's Limit. That's right. And then um, Rust came out and nothing about this album was spoken about for six months. Um, And there was obviously a few more songs that would have been recorded, but we just didn't quite get there. And then um, the start of 2020, um, uh, what's the song called? Not, not King's Triple X, Follow the Leader. We're, oh, we're working, yeah. working title, King's Triple uh, X. Um, but that came out when you guys were going on tour, I think, to Melbourne. But, yeah, in 2020. Yeah, we then, did the East Coast. We did Melbourne and Sydney and yep. had a whole bunch of fun. And right as COVID just <clears throat> smashed down upon the world. Yep. And, um, and yeah, and basically, and yeah, that was pretty much what happened. Like after that single came out. Um, I think the project was sort of forgotten about a little bit. And I, I remember giving you some files and saying, like, you, you know, go and change it or add some new guitars or we'll sort of just see see what happens. But knowing that this song, Sky's Limit, which was the working title, I'm surprised you kept it as the song title and not uh, didn't change it. But that's neither here nor there, really. It's just Are a- you aware of the story with the title? Uh, yes, I, I believe I am. Would you want to tell it really quickly? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell people about it so that people stop correcting me that there's no apostrophe in the song or mm-hmm. anything else. So the very first incarnation of Ragdoll when we were a five piece in 2009, 2009, yeah, we played a show regionally and Luke, who was singing at the time, got us this gig for the like the local races and we went down i think everyone went three of the band went down the night before then ryan and i drove down the morning of the gig so it was our first touring experience if you want to call it that you know it was the first i think it was a second or third show i'd ever like maybe the fourth paid gig i'd ever done in my life kind of thing so second or third gig we'd ever done with the band i think we did we like two cover shows or something like that before that. And anyway, so this was like, you know, it felt like you've gone bush kind of thing. Uh, It was pretty feral. It was pretty loose. And there was a little booklet getting around. The band didn't have a name at the time. It was just unnamed project. We were working on some original material and we figured we'll do some cover gigs and make some money in the meantime so that we can then fund the original material. This little booklet getting around of like, you know, the... These are the times for the races. This is the name of the meat pie stall. This is the local butcher. This is, you know, all the sponsors, the sort of things that you get 
in a regional community in Australia, this little booklet, and it said, live band, Sky's Limit. And we were like, who's Sky's Limit? And Luke just kind of said, oh, they needed a name. So I just thought, you know, it's a new project and, you know, Sky's the Limit. So Sky's Limit it is. And that's how it was spelt in there. And we just (laughs) kind of laughed about it. We were like, well... You know, is it sky's the limit or is it sky's limit? Or it just became just became an in-joke forever. Yep. So no one cares about your band name when you do these things either. So for whatever reason, that percolated up into my consciousness years later when I wrote that riff and did the demo for it. So the demo that I would have sent out to the guys would have had the name Sky's Limit, much like all the other working titles, like Rust was a working title, uh, Follow the Leader was called, you know, King's Triple X. Uh, there's another one called King 69, which we haven't released yet. I wonder uh, what just, sort of music that sounds like. My favorite well, working title was obviously uh, The World You Gave Us was originally called Nutmeat. Nutmeat. Yep. That was uh, that was because we did a New Year's gig and uh, like in Shark Bay or something. And we were, <laughs> we were bored and looking for something to do. And, you know, they had these tiny little stores uh, and we're walking around this <clears> store, <throat> like basically in the middle of nowhere, they had these shelves stacked with this like meat alternative and it just said nut meat. So, you know, we're, we're adults, yep. we're adult children. We find those things quite funny. And, uh, yeah, I just, again, that must've been not long after that. It was still fresh in my mind where I wrote the riff and it's like, oh yeah, that one's nut meat. Just the, <laughs> the funny part of that is people are always like, why is the song called Rust? You don't say Rust anywhere in it. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's the point. You know, maybe maybe it's part of the bigger aesthetic picture of it or something like that. So, you should ask Sum 41, why does this look infected? Uh, why does that have such stupid song names like The Hell Song? I mean, it doesn't matter. It's just a song. Yeah. Actually, we were listening. Uh, Ryan and I were driving down to camps to rehearse last night, and he didn't realize that that uh, very early live recording we did was on Spotify. The Which one, one? That you recorded. Remember that one you recorded of us at the Rosemount? Oh, yeah. That was like 2011. It was actually a very important recording and video recording. The videos are online. We had someone come out and That's right, film yeah. it, but those recordings ended up, someone ended up seeing them in the States, and that's how we kind of, you know, that's how we. That's how we made it, man. That's how we broke through that's to really the funny. other side. I was thinking so, about that the other day because um, the there was a lot of uh, spill in the vocal mic, as what happens when you do a live performance. There's just always drums right. and guitars bleeding into the vocal, and um, <clears throat> I had to pretty much automate like between every word, like wow. or every phrase at least down, uh, just to get rid of all the spill. And it was a real pain in the ass, but it's just what you do. But I, oh Jesus. Um, I had a session that I did not that long ago. Um, I, sorry, I, I tracked it, uh, in like 2021. It was like a live recording in the studio, but the singer was using an SM7. So the same mic that I'm talking into right now, but he sings really quietly when he plays and he's really far back from the mic, like about this far and singing, singing, singing. singing. It was just terrible, like terrible amounts of bleed. And I was like, Oh, it. It, it just kind of ruins the rest of the drum sound. Cause, like the spill in general, having like room mics and stuff is is one thing, but I just couldn't get the vocal loud enough without it really drastically changing the drum sound. But with modern technology, um, uh-huh. music rebound, what is it? 
I think it's called Music Rebalance RX um, Isotope plugin. Uh, just use that, and I just was. I just it took ages. It took like an hour or something, or maybe not an hour, half an hour, forty minutes or something. But I just processed it. I hit go, and it just pulled everything out that wasn't vocal, and it was amazing. Oh, actually, you know, I tell a lie. I think I pushed up the vocal a bit, and I pulled the spill down by like six dB. So I, enough separation. It just saved the track. It made it so much more That's listenable. Awesome. So yeah, all these things now that make life very easy for. Yeah, for engineers. The isotope stuff is, if you're doing anything with voice, it's kind of, it's worth the money. Mm. You know, it's worth just as an essential tool, uh, especially like this room I've got, you know, is noisy. There's yep. the aircon, there's everything else happening. So yeah, being able to put like voice denoise on it mm -hmm. uh, for YouTube videos is great. But I digress. Uh, we were listening to that recording and you know what Ryan said? He said, did you go and like record a second guitar on this? And I remembered you telling me you were like oh what i've done i i've got your soldano the mic damp here oh, yeah. and then i reamped the di through 11 and delayed it slightly and just kind of panned them and yeah it i mean it sounds way better than i remember it sounding at the gig so there you go man so, probably sounds a bit wider i think i was a bit more obsessed with that um certainly back then uh, i i'm less worried about width in mixes now in my own stuff um whereas it yeah, it just, I remember particularly back then, so this is like 2011, um, if I put on a track and it just didn't feel like it filled the speakers and the stereo spectrum enough, I was a bit like, ah, oh, man, it sounds shit. Um, and also in the metering, it always feels weird. It's like, you, where are you going to put that single guitar? You're going to put it down uh, the middle, yeah. you're going to pan it left and right. Nowadays, I just tend to like pan it. Like I'm happy to let it be panned to one side by like 40%. And then I usually just put some reverb and pan it to the other side. So that's the way I get a bit of faux width um, or I just sort of deal with it and live with it. Um, but back <laughs> at that point, yeah, trying to get the stereo widening stuff um, or the tricks and whatnot, I was a bit more interested in that. Because like you can do, hypothetically, you could run it through your favorite um, stereo chorusing unit, your dimension and or, you know, whatever. But it does sound, pitch. yeah, but it does have that, maybe the even side would be slightly different, but like some of them, it does sound too obviously chorused. And I think that's a bit of an issue, particularly with heavy guitars. Um, and then there's also an issue of like, I don't really want a solo to sound big and wide as much as I like to fill it in that same stereo way, maybe rhythm guitars, but I kind of like um, solos and like more single melodic parts to feel like they have a single place in a left right thing that's yeah maybe that's rather just than me, just rather than just giant dual mono right yeah so i mean uh, that's cool that's on there i haven't listened to that i, I think it's uh, it's really hard to listen to anything from that i did back then to be honest because it's i mean it's it's hard to listen to anything i did like three weeks ago to be honest well like yeah. sky's limit i don't know if i'll be able to listen to that um exactly the, the big point about that was aside to compliment you on getting bunta guitar tones is that pizza box is on there and that was another stupid working title that stuck oh, yeah. the song we never ended up uh releasing but it's on there so and slip slip there is a document of us doing it and we just we're just having a laugh about it so if anyone wants to go and listen to it ragdoll live at the rosemount 2011 proto band you know i think we'd been a trio for a month or two so it is what it is yeah. and then I, I mean not long after that yeah we ended up having that first US trip and what we did here today in three weeks with you? Maybe four. That EP, right. that was like five five songs? Yeah. Five songs, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was so, it was pretty pushed for time, but it was about that long, I think. I, I had to listen to that and I did the title track 
side by side with Sky's Limit, and it's pr- it's really interesting for me to well, like obviously hear the progression in like what we do, but more so like for the way you mix and do stuff and the like the I'm going to call it like the dynamism of the mix rather than it just be like here's a big sound with some cool stuff. It's uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on with the Sky's Limit mix that I really like. And I really like how upfront the drums are without being, you know, there's a er, everything louder than everything else element of mm-hmm. mixing. But yeah, I'd be interested to know like what, what do you, okay. I assume there's a lot of stuff that you do that's different, but say over the last 10 years, like what have you learned about like, say how you would mix guitars and drums and, you know, kind of, this is something I remember you saying where it's like, you know, if you have a song and it starts, you want it to get to a 10 out of 10 at some point, it shouldn't start at a 10 out of 10. It should start at a 7 out of 10. Mm-hmm. And then the songs that start at 7 out of 10 and then they just go nowhere. Yep. So, like, how do you get that? that? I think that's the thing for me that I've become aware of is it's like the way a track is mixed can reinforce the energy. Sometimes it can really make it, you know, where the song has this intensity about it that can build and build. I think a lot of that's in the production too. Um, I think it's, I was doing a track with some uh, students on Monday. I think it's, it's kind of fun to throw the kitchen sink at stuff. So to try and find your 10 out of 10, like maximum volume, uh, if that's the last chorus or whatever, um, kind of do, maybe not do it first, but like spend a bit of time on that and then see what actually sounds cool. And then you can, use those ideas earlier in the song and turn them on or off or up or down or whatever. And then it's like w- almost working backwards. Um, that doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it just like with, um, with sky's limit, uh, the approach to that was a little different than, um, what I've done with you guys in the past and actually kind of what I've done, um, even over the last few years, because I, I there's probably less on there than a lot of other songs that, there's a lot of tracks and there's a bit of like, you know, special source processing and whatnot, but it's not filled with a bunch of production elements and, you know, impacts and reverses and rises and um, uh, loops and samples and stuff. It's a bit more like rock band, I think, because it's a pretty easy crutch to make uh, that I do a lot <clears throat> where I make a normal rock band sound big and exciting by just like, yeah, throwing the the kitchen sink at it, so to speak. So it's just trying to make like the ultimate, well, not the ultimate, make a, the three-piece band that you guys are just sound as big as possible without it requiring like 20 tracks of guitars to do so on here yeah, today. Yeah. You know, uh, well, I'm not sure what order this is going to go at, but we spoke to um, Charles Scott um, uh, last week. And um, <clears throat> what were we speaking at? What was the point of me bringing him up? There was something that he said. That was an awesome episode. And if it's not out yet, and if it's coming out next week, depending on how we structure this, I think people are really, really going to enjoy it. It was such an interesting chat. Fuck, I've completely lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? I think you were talking about mega tracking guitars. Oh, mega tracking guitars. That's right. So I'd meant to mention this to him, but because it it just came up, you know, there's um, in like 2011, there was a guy that, um, came and did a little bit of work at the studio and um, 
as far as we could tell, he who shall not be named. Well, no, I mean uh, it doesn't really matter that much. But he, he, as far as we could tell at the time, had done a bit of work in America on some like modern rock songs, right? So with that, he brought with him a few uh, ideas and like methods of working that was misinterpreted as being like, which happens a lot as like, oh, this is how they do it in America, and this is this is how it's done, and you have to do your music like this. And and so an example would be <clears throat> taking your single rhythm guitar part and Leon, I mean your single rhythm guitar part and maybe tracking it like six times with different guitars and amps. And at the very least, you probably quad track stuff. Um, so we might take uh, like a Les Paul and do a left and right of that with one amp set up. And then we do the same thing with like an SG or a Strat or three through five, whatever, or PRS. But because it was like trying to make it sound like this American sound of whatever we thought that was or however we thought that was done kind of like took that a bit more extreme. So yeah, maybe there was like six or eight parts. There was stuff on that here today. We might've even done it on the song here today where the chord itself was quite dense. So we split the chord up to be like the low strings, like the low, um, it was in drop D, so whatever, D-A-D. And then we do the higher chord part as a separate take. So it's effectively just We're like doing a lot of that. <clears throat> yeah, you're just not flooding your input to your amp with like such wide bandwidth of signal. Um, so you get more clarity on the high notes and a bit more um, chugga chugga on the low notes. So and you you know anyone that's tried to do that, like if you if you were to play like a, a thirteen chord um, with a lot of distortion, um, it's pretty undefined um, unless you start to turn the gain down a lot. Now, what is that phenomena, Troy? And why does that make a distorted guitar sound like a guitar? And why a kind of like, say, maybe not a proper multi-voice synth, but like, you know, if you get a sampled distorted guitar note by note and play it on a keyboard, it doesn't sound like a chord on guitar, right? Yeah, correct. Sounds kind of weird. And like a lot of those like Roland GK sounds have that Mm -hmm. thing. It's a lack of intermodulation distortion. Yep. I mean, that's funny you say that because um, you asked it like a question like I was supposed to answer and I was like, oh shit, I don't know if I have the answer to this, but I thought, yeah, intermodulation distortion. I kind of had a feeling that's what it was. Yeah, well, the reason that came up was I bought that Psych-Fi like six individual pickups in one pickup with the breakout box and I, you know, had all the six different inputs going into my Axe effects where you can have you know, single string processing, which is really, really fun. But then you can immediately flip, you know, if you set the preset up, you can go, oh, I'll sum all the strings into an app. Then it sounds like a normal guitar. But if you like multi out it to different things, then it has that weird like sampler sound about it. And it's, yeah, it's because you literally have, you know, a single note being processed. It's like, um, it'd be process some later versus some process, which is obviously in a non-linear system isn't going to be the same thing. So yeah. that, um, yeah, that, that kind of thing, I can hear a bit more of that. There's a, there's an element. I remember someone saying, uh, especially like on the song here today, ages ago, they were like, Oh, are there, is there like a, did you guys put synth on that? Cause it kind of sounds like there's a few synth pads in there. And I remember thinking, no, but we did record, no, no, I'm pretty sure what it is. It's that like recording the low part of the chord and the mm. high part of the chord on separate tracks. And it, it is, it is clearer. Yep. It, it hits a little bit different. Yep. And I remember when we were recording back to zero, I think shine has a lot of these like weird 
you know, like I play a power chord on the low three strings, an open G string, and then like a really high note yep. where we tried tracking it like kind of bit by bit. And I remember you saying, do you just want to play the chord? Yep. And we tracked it like that. And I remember going like, oh, you can do this. This is fine. Yeah. I mean, and it's funny you say it like that because there's, you can do whatever you want. Like it's the, the biggest thing I say to students is like literally you do whatever you want, but that's taken a long time of me realizing that that's an option and not, like I said, someone comes back from America, which we think is like the promised land where everything is done uh, incredibly well. And, um, you know, there's only one way of work. It's like, who fucking gives a shit? Just whatever sounds good. You can try it. It might work really well for you. It might not work well at all. You have to kind of take things in context and da 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 da. Um, it kind of in a, without going on another massive tangent, but it it's really like when I teach, I talk about signal flow and gain structure a lot, right? And um, this signal flow thing is is really important, like, and and the, the gain structure of it, because yeah, once again, if you're overloading your input of your amp with like such wide band frequency, it's going to sound different. If you split it off, it's going to sound different. It's okay. They both work. Understanding how they actually uh, interact, how the, the pieces interact with each other is the because kind of the only important thing that matters because you can yeah. make that decision. And if you hear it and go, oh, it sounds this, but I want it to sound a different way, then you know roughly where you can change it in the signal chain. Probably like another um, example of that. I'm pretty sure it wasn't on Sky's Limit, but it was on um, uh, Follow the Leader because, which we'll talk, I want to talk about the guitar sounds on um, Sky's Limit in a second. But on Rust, up until that point, all of the Ragdoll songs that we've done have all been with real amps, uh, including Rust. And then with um, Follow the Leader, I'm pretty sure that was all Axe FX3. Is that sound right to you? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, it was because we built that like kind of amp blend preset in it. Yeah, and um, and same as Sky's Limit, that's also um, completely Axe FX. But when we, um, when we brought that into track... Um, follow the leader and we made that amp blend. I'm not sure if you remember this, but originally the way that the signal flow worked was that the guitar came in, it split off to two amps, which one was yep. the Bogner, one was the, the Atomica. And then they come into the same cabinet. Yes. And then that was where the blend happened, like pre, pre-cabinet. And then that goes to the output, which is fine. Like that you have signal passing through the amps, but part of what makes the guitar sound the guitar sound was that that cabinet interacting with that amp and that cabinet interacting with that amp. And by having the blend in front, it kind of sounded a bit like unnatural and a bit mushy sounding. So all we did was like put two cab blocks in and then like sum them after the cabinets instead of pre the cabinets. It sounded way better, I think, um, way clearer yeah, and, and made were, more natural. different cabs as well, which I think was yeah. important. I was really surprised by that. That was one of those like, well, this shouldn't, but it does yep. sort of thing. So yeah, a lot of the time now, and people ask about a lot like, oh, what like dual amp blends do you recommend in the axe? Like whatever you want, but I did this one thing once where it sounded better to have amp and cab, amp and cab and sum them rather than just <clears throat> run them all through the same cab. It sounded, I guess it just had more character doing it that way, mm -hmm. which was which is pretty interesting. So it was probably like, what was it? The Ubershaw model and like a V30 IR. Probably, and then yeah. I think it was I Atomica. Think it was Atomica and like a Greenback IR. So yeah. And it was cool because it was like the IR we made of your recording cab. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
which is which is really really nice. And then for Sky's Limit, see, I'm I obviously haven't opened the session back up and looked at it. Was it just a pair of guitars? Just double? Yeah. So there's three tracks on it, um, like total uh, three guitar tracks. No, four. Yeah, one's a solo. So it was. I always track the DI um, along with the amp. We have a we had routed it at the time, I believe, so that the XFX gave us a clean, like yep. unprocessed um, DI signal, effectively, as well as the amp. So on two different outputs. Um, yeah, but it's just a left and a right for the rhythm parts, and then there's an overdub part in like the choruses and oh no, in the um, it's in the first verse. It's a bit more ambient sounding, and yep. then that Good reappears old. towards the end. Good old stock rotary speaker in yep. the act. It's just such a thing, man. Like it just, it's, uh, we call it, uh, Cam described it as, as the sound of paranoia. Yeah. <laughs> like you just put that on and it's like, cause on, uh, I think the end of rewind your mind, there's, um, one of the chords I play. If it was in standard tuning, it would be the open B string and then a fifth fret on the G. So it's like B and C together, like a semitone part. Yep. But I remember on Rewind tracking, just playing the like C, B, C, B uh, underneath it is just this layer of like, you know, droning uh, dissonance in there. So yeah, that, that, and the like kind of stereo processing you put on that, I think makes that verse really, really come in and sound interesting. That's on, are you talking about on Rewind or on Skies? On Skies Limit, yeah. 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 So yeah, it's pretty simple for the guitar tracking. And then you had emailed me a solo that you did um, at home and um, just chucked that Which in. Which I can't remember doing. Yeah. Well, it was so like, long I ago, man. I obviously did it, but I, it was, if we, if we track the rhythm parts in 2018, 2019, I think I did the solo like sometime during COVID. Um, oh, maybe, but I, I feel like it was actually, well, I could probably find the file there and, and tell you, but. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, the, the, to, to go way back on this story, the, the track was pretty much done in like May 2019. Like right. in terms of what was recorded, um, apart from that solo, because that wasn't in the session, but it was like I had a, you'd emailed me the the thing or put it in Dropbox, uh, that solo. But yeah, the rest of it was basically um, like they're ready to go and just sat on the hard drive for five, four years uh, until um, sort of decided to finish it off. So it was really interesting because, um, you know, talking about, uh, like here today and how that compares to Sky's Limit, thinking about or opening up the session and how I recorded it in 2018, 2019 versus how I do stuff now is like super different. Right. And um, I I really, like I struggled to get a certain sound in that track um, that I really wanted to hear because knowing that I'd actually recorded it in a certain way, like so many years ago, where like Rust was really tough to mix I did a lot of shit on that, that and stuff that I haven't really um, pursued afterwards because I was trying to get a certain sound out of it and it was pretty cool and it worked. Um, but yeah, like listening to some of the roughs of Sky's Limit from like 2019, they they actually sound okay. Um, they sound like reasonable, but the drum sound, like the individual elements of the drum sound and everything, I'm like, as I mixed it in 2023, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> like, it it would have been better in hindsight to uh, just have mixed it and finished it back then and, and had the, just while I was in that headspace of, of kind of yeah, understanding yeah. how I'm going to use the the elements. Um, Cause it's really difficult to look back. Well, I find it difficult on my own stuff to look back. Um, Cause I'm always trying to 
make it better and evolve the stuff. Um, probably like the way I do stuff now makes sense. I think I'm on a pretty positive trajectory of, um, of ideas. Um, but it's taking a while, um, like to, to answer your question of like, you know, uh, stuff that happens now that's different. Um, back when we did here today, like we mixed that on an SSL console and we did it relatively quick because we mixed that whole EP over like maybe two nights or three nights. I don't remember now. Maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. three. But it was nights because that's when we could get the studio for a bit cheaper. Um, so we went in like starting at about 7 p.m. and finishing up about four or five o'clock in the morning and did that three nights in a row. So it was quick. Um, it was a lot of um, over-processing stuff, I think, and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of vocals parts like uh, vocal overdubs and guitar overdubs and trying to manage all that probably not in the clearest way. And, and to be fair, I don't think I've done that very well in general over my um, mixing career. I'm still working on it because I, I, I get so like interested in the sounds that I add in that sometimes they, they're just like, it's really cool and I can't let go of it and can't trim yeah, shit out. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, that's a, that's my own personal battle, personal battle um, within skies. Like I'm pretty sure there's, not many vocal tracks in there. Oh no, there is, so there is quite a few vocal tracks. I take that back. It's really just the one lead, a little bit of double, and a couple of moments where there's harmonies in the choruses and stuff. There were some bits that we recorded which ended up getting cut. Uh, I was able to be a little bit more like savage with that. Um, so the guitar parts in general weren't very complicated. So that was that was what it was. The bass parts pretty much were what they were. I have previously like would add synth parts in and production parts. Didn't really do that. Um, so mo most of like yeah. the effect stuff is just trying to throw shit on vocals, which in terms of the, what the lyrics were and the subject matter were, it felt a bit like more appropriate to try and, you know, throw delay parts in or chorus parts or whatever, the phases. So that was kind of fun. I, I think it's still, um, it's weird. I don't want to say it could have been better with more time because there was plenty of time that was spent on it. Um, but I, I think it's just like for me and the stuff that I do, I just try and take a few lessons over the song, over a song once I finished it and take it to the next project. It's pretty much what I've done with you guys for yeah. the last like 11, 12 years where like I'll use you guys as the, um, the, the experimentation, um, board. And then I'll just take those things that I learned to the next project. And they usually, they sound like kind of cooler <laughs> and then I'll, you guys will come in for the next thing and I'm, I'm onto the next way of working. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I certainly enjoy that. I feel like, you know, my, the very first set of recordings we did with uh, Blair and Anthony, I just didn't know what was up. So I was like, well, you guys know how to do this. So like, I'll just sort of play the parts and try not to be super interested in, like I just basically didn't say anything yep. where there were parts in certain songs where I was like, oh, I know how to do this at home or like, you know, in 11 with mod delay. Yeah. But I just shut up the whole time and I wasn't super happy with the end result where there were things where it's like, oh, that's meant to have like a rhythmic delay on it and just for whatever reason. So I think by the time, you know, we did here today with you, it was, it kind of started off as like, yeah, we'll just kind of track it. And then there was definitely a day where the fuzz pedals came out and the weird stuff came out and it was, that was you know, really the, fun, that stuff. yeah, <clears throat> just the lights went on and we just went to town having fun like yep. it's still one of the most fun things i think that's ever 
I've ever experienced with music was like just it was really you know obviously really stressful but the specifically the tracking guitars getting cool sounds you know it felt like that moment for me in my life where it's like oh, I can just leave all my preconceptions about what you're supposed to do behind and try to just lean into lean into the vibe as nebulous as that sounds <laughs> well that's true I think it's like it's important to just remember it is like creative and creativity is usually fun supposed to be fun should yeah. be fun um but yeah, that was a really fun session because like we were pretty young, like we were like early twenties. So it wasn't like, you know, go, I, I remember like doing late nights at your place, trying to track these guitars and we just kind of, yeah, just fucking around. And it wasn't like, oh, I've got to go home so I can change nappies and um, get the kids up in the morning. So without that stress and pressure, it was just a really good um, time to learn. I think like, yeah, even the last night that we did, in terms of um, like finalizing all the parts, making sure that everything was tracked and going through it. I think it was like you, me, and Cam at your place yeah. to about like two. Did we get on like a uh, chat roulette or something? We got on chat roulette because that was a thing, and um, yeah, that was that was really funny and and silly, and yeah, it was just learning. But I think like in terms of other lessons from that, I, I definitely try and keep sessions that I do like not stress free because it can't really be stress free, but keep it like creative and open. Yeah, and um, you know, really, it's just. Um, like not looking at the clock's really important and yeah, it helps with the, with keeping the vibe, as you say. And I hate saying that, but I, it kind of comes out of my mouth a lot these days, but it's, it's kind of the best way of describing it. You know, you want it, you want some of that Craig McRae energy in your yeah, session. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, in terms of the, the track, um, a couple things, uh, yeah. Oh, the, sorry. Before you dive into that, yeah, uh, I, I don't think I've even mentioned this to you. Obviously, you know, you recorded the vocals, mm -hmm. so we went through it with a fine tooth comb. But did you pick up on? And I can't remember if this was the initial intention, but like in my head, it's always been about this topic. Like, do you, like, what's the song about to you? I just always thought it was about doing drugs, but I don't know. What is it? Uh, lucid dreaming. But oh, drugs. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be as well. You know. Uh, for, for, for me, because uh, anyone who knows me well enough will know that probably every couple of weeks I have these insane, vivid dreams, like, you know, loaded with symbolism and things like that. I think a big part of how I deal with everything that happens in my life is like, I'll just dream it out, mm -hmm. which sounds insane. For example, Troy, the other night, two nights ago, I had a dream I was on a water slide playing my yellow RG550. And, you know, going down the water slide, I must have like, you know what it was? Because I'd watched the Eric Bugenhagen video where he's going down a water slide <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. right before I went to bed. So there's that ticked off. Uh, thank you to everybody for letting me work out my uh, symbolic dreams. But then I like splashed into the water and it felt like there was something in my mouth and I started pulling this string out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. And the more I pulled, the more came out, but it was fluoro yellow like the guitar. So I don't know. Sounds I have like lots a good dream. I have lots of dreams where my teeth fall out sometimes when I'm stressed. But then when I'm not stressed, dreams where I fly all the time. That's and I cool. was describing that to someone. They were like, God complex. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Just like, haha, I can fly. Or I, I know how to fly, but I have to like, I, I like, hey, everybody, check. Like, I'm at a gig or something. Like, uh, now, now when I do the solo, I'll just like hover and um, everyone's never impressed with the guitar playing, but they're impressed with the uh, gravity device. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where that, uh, where that comes from. I think a lot of the, the stuff, you could interpret it as drugs. You know what? You can interpret it as anything you like because that is the point <laughs> that 
they'll listen. It's it's that's the cop out answer. That's the cop out answer. I mean, I had somebody write to me when we put Rust out, just like dissecting why the lyrics should be different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Probably. I think my final response were like, "Sounds like you've just written a song. Go yep. and record it, bro. You know, like, yep. um, not. I, I don't know. There's this thing where it's like, uh, hey, I appreciate somebody taking the time to listen to the song, but you know, you forget that maybe when people record things, they make creative decisions for a reason. Yeah. And even if you may not be able to see the meaning in it, maybe it really means something to the person who's done it. Not that it makes it better or worse, but that's a such a strange thing to me, like being like, oh, Steve Vai, you know, in uh, For the Love of God, yeah, the the second one where you do a slide should have been a bend. Yeah. Sounds better, <clears throat> you know? Good on like, you. I'm sure he's had lots of people tell him that as well because Steve Vai fans would say that. Like, why would Steve Vai make this choice? Yeah. Uh, you're missing the point. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, basically. Your creativity, like creating music and that stuff, it's really fascinating um, the way people approach it. Uh, for me, it's always just like just do the best you can yeah. at the time you know, that you're there. Don't. There's a there's a there's a Troy Navaban concept I'd like to introduce to the audience. It's called the room of no consequences. <laughs> that's really what that's, like that's recording not a, a music me concept, should be like. Yeah. yeah, like it should be. It's um, you know, the session I did with um some of my students on Monday, um, I was trying to tell them it's like you just try stuff. Like, who gives a fuck if it sounds good or bad? Good or bad's irrelevant. Like, is it fun? Does it sound different? Does it actually make you consider the music you're doing in a slightly different way that makes you go like, oh, maybe that's terrible, but I never would have thought of this other thing had I not gone down this path. Like, that's yeah. just, yeah, it's um, it's like saying winning or losing, mate, doesn't matter. It's just um, like wrestling. The, the results- You know what it is, Troy? It's what? about the process. It's about the process. It, it actually, it is. I actually think that's more important. It's a cliche for a reason. Yeah. It really is. And I mean, the thing that got me interested in writing music and recording music was reading about all my favorite bands and, you know, how how they did stuff, whether it was, <clears throat> uh, you know, Led Zeppelin did their first couple of albums in like no time. And so when it came time to do four, they like got a mobile recording studio and a cool old house and just like hung out and went pastoral, you know, and just like that clearly they were in a position where, you know, literally they were living in the room of no consequences yep. with their entire, like, you know, you've, you've basically, you can, you basically don't have to worry about anything except doing this. So why not make it a pleasant experience? Or I remember watching some kind of monster when mm-hmm. I was in high school and seeing like how, how much the band got in their own way when trying to record some stuff. There's another great Troy Navaban quote, which is rock music shouldn't be hard. All these things I didn't know I realized I said, but there you go. Maybe you just introduced me to them. I just, I, I think it was along the lines of, you know, you know, you go in, you have fun, but at like the end of the day, you're recording a rock song. It's, it's a bit of a known quantity. Like, yeah. you know, you're not reinventing the wheel. So don't worry about the fact you're not reinventing the wheel. Just, just have some fun. Yeah. Get your, get your ideas across. Just do it. As I said, do the best that you can. I mean, also don't like, perf- nothing's ever perfect. You just fucking, you know, just do, just do the best you can. <laughs> hey, in the words of Jeff's, Jeff's Tate's, uh, in the words of Jeff Tate, just, I want to be the best I can. <laughs> I was going to sing it, but I won't do that. Um, yeah. So 
Man, this is a cool discussion about this song. Um, it'd be cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to pe- people being able to hear it. I, I mean, it's just nice to see another ragdoll song in the world after three years. Yeah, um, another child is born. Another <laughs> four still on the hard drive somewhere that may and, or may not ever see the light of day. And hey, like without without like copping out and making excuses, uh, since we did uh, like Rust, basically, uh, you know, Ryan's had two kids. And uh, like, I won't go into details out of privacy, but like, you know, one of his other kids got really, really sick. Um, mm-hmm. And for me personally, it's like actually having the time where you go like, oh, you were so in your own head about this small portion of, of your life. You know, it's, it's, it's this big in the context of your life, but you're making it out to be this massive thing and like getting a bit of perspective on sort of what's important in life. And like, you know, you've, you've had two kids as well. A a lot of my, a lot of my friends have, you know, had children or had like significant things happen to them, whether it's, you know, uh, triumph or tragedy or, you know, health related stuff. And, you know, you just kind of get into your thirties and, you know, shit happens. So having actually having, and obviously COVID was like a, was that on a global scale? Mm-hmm. So having all those things and actually sort of getting to the point where you like feel good about, Oh, cool. It's not just a chore to put music out, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, you can, you can feel good about it and you can enjoy it and you can enjoy the process. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's having the perspective on it where it's like, don't have to do this. So if you're going to do it, may as well be enjoying it. Yeah, I'd agree with that completely. Anyway, I cut you off before about you're going to dive into more sections, more stuff about the song and- Probably won't dive in too much. I mean, like there's, I'll, I'll just say, we'll talk about a couple little things with it. Um, we are the gear podcast, so we'll, we need to get into some gear stuff too before the end of the episode. Um, oh, yeah. Th- but yeah, I love- um, I love having a conversation like this because I like we probably would have had similar conversations to this a long time ago. Um, but it's just something I always enjoy with anybody. Um, I just find it fascinating, the nature of like creating. Um, Mm. so anyway, in terms of the track, uh, before we sort of move on from it completely, because as I said, be nice for everyone to hear it. Um, the, the guitars on it. Do you remember what, so it's, it's all Axe FX three. Do you remember what amps they are? What? uh, I feel like it's Recto one red. I feel like that was a real Recto song. Uh, that's about all I remember about it and probably boosted with something probably uh, it's my black PRS, you yeah. know, the, the single cut. I do remember when we were tracking it, especially in the verse, cause the riff has a, the way I was playing, it was a bit Mr. Roboto and, oh, yeah. uh, not the stick song, but just sound like a robot. I remember you going, there's, there's often these times in a, for me tracking with you where it's like, if I'm struggling with a part, you can do the play it the way so-and-so would play it. Oh, yeah. And the, the verses in particular were like, man, just think about it. What would Nuno do? How would Nuno play <laughs> it? And it was sort of like, oh, yeah, just just do that. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, the riff doesn't sound like an extreme riff, but in my head, in that verse, I, I go, second hey, verse, yeah. here's the Nuno part, like give it a bit of swing, give it, just like give it some more attitude, yep. you know, uh, let, it, let, it, let it sound like you know, dirty rock guitar. So yeah. I remember that aspect of it. Uh, yeah, the the worrying memory blip of doing the solo. Because I remember you pulling it in and going like, ah, oh, this is this is a solo. This is good. So I've had to go and learn it. Um, and 
yeah, it's it's been like I that's always such an interesting part of the thing where it's like, oh, cool. I think on a lot of the earlier stuff, there was a lot of like I'd come in with something prepared and you'd be like, cool, that's a bunch of exercises. Now I actually just play a proper guitar solo and then I'd be able to play it, you know. Uh, or you'd say like, cool, what would, you know, do some George Lynch here like over the last solo or something, uh, last chorus or something, and, you know, just like here's, here's a really rough vibe to get you motivated. Go and do it. So, yeah, I think it's pretty simple. It was just kind of me, you know, because Back to Zero has my old rector on it a lot. So it was like. She's that. Just, kind of that sound i'll just um interject for one second um in terms of the player solo and make it not sound like a lot of guitar exercises this is all just a do it do what i say not as i do because yeah. i i'm really good at being picky on other people's guitar playing but if anyone ever hears me do a solo i've got like four licks maybe maybe three um they're not really very good but and they're always pretty sloppy and i always hit wrong notes but at least i've listened to enough like George Lynch and Nuna Betancourt, where I can tell when other people are not sucking, but when I want to hear something different. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And I think like the idea of don't play a guitar exercise, like that really comes from um, uh, Anthony. So uh, like he's uh, Anthony Cormick and like just incredible guitar player and um, mentored me a lot over like when I was sort of first starting out, but he could do anything. And then when guitar players would come in that could just rip it's just a comment he made. It was like, yeah, I mean, they've got all the chops, but it's not really a melodic solo. It's like, there's a lot of stuff you can say about Steve Vai that is positive and negative. But, you know, if you listen to something like Passion and Warfare, like the notes are really considered, the melodies are considered, and it it, it isn't just like, you know, not even just playing guitar exercises, but just like whittling over a backing track. That's kind of, that's really lame. Like anyone can sort of do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of guitar players from that era, I'm not talking about the George Lynch's necessarily. Uh, I'll, I mean, some of the other, let's just say shrapnel guitar players. Oh, yeah. They're like, they've got so much facility, but they don't do anything like memorably musical with it. Um, apart from being like, you know, your eyes go so wide because like, oh my God, I can't believe they can play that quick. But it's like, oh, who cares? Like you can't hum that melody. Um, but like the Steve Vai thing, the Joe Satriani thing, um, it's yeah that to me is what makes guitar playing um and guitar solos interesting so yeah because if you're gonna do the whittle you have to be better than Ingve. like that's <laughs> yeah. that's the standard you know because he just shows up and just like blasts yep. and it's just incredible and he's got that vibrato and, and that touch yeah, yeah. He's the, touch, he's the you know. best at doing that. Like, really, there's no other... You're right. I've never thought of it just like that, but he l plays the same five licks over everything and it is still so much fun to listen to, unless it's his blues album. Oh, yeah. And uh, unless it's him playing drums and singing, because <laughs> whatever album that was that he put out, which was him doing everything, is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so, Ingve, just don't, mate. Just, like, you know, call up... Someone who can sing, be nice to him for an afternoon. <laughs> you know, it has to be an afternoon. Not even an afternoon. Just yeah, you know, just don't even don't even have him around. Just have him do it. So yeah, because uh, look, I have to interject with some Ingve. You know, he played bass on most of his albums. Oh right, I didn't know that. He's like, he's a proper bass player, and obviously he can do the thing. But uh, yeah, and. I've seen videos him playing drums where he's just like double kickering, you mm -hmm. know. I'm sure if he wanted to devote his life to playing drums, he would be really good. Yep. Uh, he's just kind of one of those guys. And he seems like he has heaps of fun when he does it. But the... <laughs> 
I think it's Fire and Ice. That's mm-hmm. the album. I don't think he plays bass on that. And it's like a, pro- it kind of sounds like a proper band. Right. Is it Fire and Ice or is it the one before that? Uh, what's the one that has uh, Making Love and Bedroom Eyes? No, it's not Fire and Ice. I'm, I'm wrong. Whatever one it is, the one that came out after Odyssey and before Fire and Ice, I can't remember the name, Eclipse. That's the one. It's just really cool. Like it sounds like a rock band playing with this insane guitar player on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my favorite Ingve album. And, you know, he still does his thing on it, but uh, it's just kind of like, I don't know what was going on in his life at the time. It's like he he gave the other band members 5% more freedom to, mm-hmm. to actually just play. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it is. It's just, like there's anytime you hear him, you're just like, there it is. You know, he's he's the big guy in the room. Yep. Still the loudest experience of my life, hearing those kick drums at the start of an Ingve Malmsteen, Malmsteen concert. A lot, I, yeah. I can close my eyes and take myself right back there to 2006. It was a um, a very good time. So anyway, getting back onto, onto topic. So guitar solos and exercises and yeah, you know, yeah. I think I still, you know, I'll, if I ever do that, I have students come in and they want to record songs they've written and, you know, we do little <clears> demos here. Uh, the way I produce them doing a solo is the same way you would do it to me, where it's like they'll do it and I'll be like, really, really good. All right, play it again. But that first lick, you know, do something a little bit more, like give me some extra spice on there or something, like just try something and you end up sort of deconstructing the whole solo and they're like, whoa, I didn't know I could do this. Yeah, I've I've done that a lot with players before. It's kind of, um, it's almost something like when you are, when you pro- when you start doing it, you're just like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. It's like really off-putting. Here we go. And then once you get into it, it's really inspiring and fun. Um, there's been times with you that's been not really like pulling teeth, but um, I just never forget the one, like the Heaven Above one, where it's just like, oh just fucking play the solo, I'm done. And it was like 50-something takes later. Um, that was quite funny. So Yeah, I still listen to that and I'm like, and this is the one this, <laughs> this you can do? All right. There's cool. there's so many other takes, man. You probably have a session. You can go back and find a different one yeah. if you want to. But yeah, you know it. that like that was a bit of a learning experience for me, where it's like, okay, just be more good next time. Yep. So uh, back to the guitars. So I think I've said this to you, but I'll say it uh, to everybody. Um, it was a lot of EQ on those guitars to make them sit in the track. Yeah, like, right. A lot, a lot. Um, awesome. Probably the most difficult thing of the whole track was trying to mix those guitars into the track. And I only have myself to blame because I was here dialing in the tone and you were sitting next to me. I can't say, oh, fucking Leon sent me these guitar tracks and they sound like shit. You know, there's no excuses. Like I was here and they were really tough to work. What was specifically really tough was the 3.1K ringing that ah. I always, always talk about on this and I, I talk about to a lot of other people. But there's something like a 9 or 10 dB cut at like 3K, 3.1K, like quite a wide bell cut just to... I, what I had done over the course of mixing these guitars, and we probably had a little discussion about it. Was, oh, yeah. <clears throat> the phase thing with EQ, right? Yeah. So I... um. I, I always find in these guitars, there was a, actually, I, I ripped it off um, Hardcore Music Studio, like one of these videos on how to mix guitars. And you've sort of like done similar things on your videos, I believe. But he just, he has a um, video where he's like, oh, this is how I mix heavy guitars. And it's like a high pass filter 
like 130 hertz maybe up as high as that low pass filter to get rid of like some of the high end stuff and then he's like you know there's always a ringing frequency around 3k 5k somewhere in that vicinity and it's all true like that's all completely fine and a, a reasonable approach to mixing um like heavy distorted guitars so excuse me the one thing on your on this track is i don't believe i high pass the guitars at all uh, i'm trying oh, just to let all the low end come through it's something that i i i believe i did that on this song um but yeah i'm just trying to like I feel like sometimes guitar sounds that I get end up like ultra sterile. And I think it's because I, I I get, I do that thing of that we always talk about when it comes to mixing guitars of like, oh, get rid of the low end because it meant, means there's more space for the bass. Where it's like other engineers that I really like when I look at their sessions, like there's fucking no high passing on this. And then you do it and it's like, oh, it actually is not really contributing that much. And sometimes that subbiness, it's like low enough where it's not really fucking with the bass. It's actually just kind of like, helping support the fundamental tone of the guitar. Yeah, interesting. So I, I'm working on that. Like there's, it's always time and place. Always, always, always time and place. But I think on that one, there was no high pass filtering. But, um, and same as I don't think, oh, there might've been a little bit of low pass filtering, but really the issue was that three point something K where I kept doing, I use a fab filter Pro Q3, right? So anyone that has that plugin, uh, familiar with it, you can get really surgical with the cuts and boosts. Um, you can also solo the bands, so I you love can just hear it. the whistle. So if you if you're listening to a sound um, and you go, oh, there's this weird ringing frequency, what is it? You can hit the solo and then sweep around till you find it exactly. The more traditional way of doing it would be to take like a filter, boost it, and sweep it around so that frequency kind of rings out at you. Um, but yeah, I. I did that. I soloed it. I just found within the space of like three to four kilohertz, a lot of issues, a lot of problem frequencies. And I just kept cutting them out until it sort of sounded okay. But did we talk about the um, like phase stuff on this? I think very briefly, but yeah, you kind of mentioned it's like obviously when you have a, a filter or you have a plugin, there's going to be <clears throat> latency introduced to process that it's not instantaneous. Yeah. And so-, so you need that plug-in delay compensation and well there's there's that but there's also the um the amount of phase distortion that happens when you have a filter on an eq engaged which is not nothing so you can do this if anyone's keen um to try this out or wants to look into it more dan warrell like he does a lot oh. of fab filter videos but he also has yep. incredible videos about this he uses the plug-in doctor um plug-in quite a lot to to demonstrate it but you can with the plug-in doctor like just say you grab one kilohertz on the fab filter and you boost it up. Um, the plugin doctor will show you like, okay, what is the EQ doing? Like, is it actually doing what it says when you boost 1K, yeah. which it does? But then you can flick to the phase and see how much phase shift there is um, when that is turned up. And what ends up happening is dep if depending on the width of your like EQ, like the Q value uh, and the boosting cut, it will out like reverse phase um, frequencies around it by a certain amount of degrees and, uh, and it's worse the narrower the band is, I believe. Right. right. So it's yeah, like yeah. more, like more harsh. Or Inversely more. proportional to the Q. Yeah. So w what that is to say is like, yeah, if you've got a lot of frequency bands in a lot, in a close proximity to one another, there's also a lot of phase shift happening within that, that frequency range. So with me, as I was EQing these guitars, I was like, man, I've got like four EQ bands, like all here and they're all pulling out little frequencies. 
is this really the best way of doing it? Um, and I ended up um, just getting rid of all of them and just doing one big cut. And that sort of made it sound a little bit nicer to me because it, I don't, I might have, might have been imagining it, but it just felt like stuff was sounding a bit weird with the over yeah, it starts losing some power or something. Yeah, and you can put that plug in uh, the fab filter into different modes as well. You can do it in like linear phase yep. or natural phase, and that had its own like series of good and bad things to do that. Yeah, doing that massive cut made a pretty big difference. Um, the single one, I still had to do a little trimming, like mid range of the guitars and whatnot, but that was kind of the killer. But I said I. I I'm only to blame for terrible guitar sounds. Not terrible guitar sounds. It wasn't that for- Mate, it's you know, just not you. It's yeah, both of us. I did uh, consider, because there's a DI signal there. I, I considered reamping that either through amps or getting you to reamp it through an Axe Effect sound. Oh, but yeah. I kind of just, I don't know. Part of me sometimes wants to just commit to what's there, you know? Yeah. And um, and I tried to do that as much as possible. So yeah, it, it kind of was what it was. Um, I would do it differently- if we were to do that song again, um, maybe different amp sound, maybe uh, do it with real amps because I'm just so into that at the moment. Maybe try different and, impulse responses. Who knows? And you have the setup to do it as well. Yeah, which I mean, to not to go back too much, but um, this entire setup that I have now with the amp switching and stuff is really just an evolution of what we did like in your basement there. Um, yeah, yeah. Like 12 years ago. So it's kind of funny that that's still the way I like to do stuff. So yeah, man, it's... um. The the rest of that mixing in terms of guitars was pretty straightforward. I think there's a bit of the, um, uh, what is it? The IK Multimedia Sunset Reverb on there because I like oh, that awesome. a lot for guitars. Yeah. And yeah, otherwise I probably don't, I think- Did you do anything extra on the solo? Like what did you put on that? Because I was listening to it the other day and I was like, this sounds lush. I don't think so. I, I reckon if anything, it would have been- I reckon you sent me two versions of it. You sent one with effects and one without effects. That sounds and about it right. Probably had it's probably just the effect version. Um, there's no yeah, editing right. on on that at all. That's probably just my Axe Effects live preset then. Yeah, it was it was cool. So it, I probably just still needed a bit of tweaking around that three K mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, otherwise, like I used a, um, I you know use reference tracks when I mix. Um, I sort of went away from it for a little bit because I found I was um, like reinventing other people's mixes or trying to rather than like just doing whatever I thought sounded the best. Um, but I did use a bit of Alter Bridge as a reference on that for, oh, the, cool. for the reason of like, well, I want to hear what rectos, like good recto tones sound like um, in this sort of arrangement. And so that felt okay. Had a bit of ghost in there as well because that's oh, yeah. different, very different sound. But I was just curious as to how it sort of matched up. And I remember um, when that uh, latest album came out, you messaged me and you're like, "I think these are some of the best guitar sounds that I've heard in ages." I still think that I, they're yeah. definitely not what your guitar sounds like on that out on the track that would this is coming out. But they, it's just Andy Wallace, man. Like they just sound so good. It just sounds like rock music. Like it's so silly to say that all the time, but it's like not. So even it doesn't feel that special in uh it, it just sounds so appropriate. It sounds yeah. like so transparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't you don't go, "Oh, that's interesting." It's just there. Yeah. So I really really like that. Um I like that um the last couple of Ghost albums a lot, but yeah, the one from last year is just awesome. So yeah, I think that I think Kaiserion, that's the one I used as a reference. Yeah, yeah. Um Frederick Ackerson on lead guitar on I that? I think so, yeah. I don't know what he used for 
guitars and amps and stuff. Yeah, He's into synergy stuff though. I think for live. Yeah. So um, maybe you, we could get Frederick on one day, mate. The list of people that we want to have on this thing is growing by the week. It's growing ever, ever longer. But yeah, I remember because uh, Elspeth is a like huge Ghost fan, loves them, and she got that as soon as it came out. And she was listening to, it and I was like, "What's going on with the? Who's playing guitar on this?" It was like one of the. It's been so long since I've had a moment like that. I was like, "They've got someone really good on this." Yeah, and I looked it up, and I was like, "Frederick, of course." Like, yeah, he's. He's an overlord of guitar, you know. So yep. he's 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 got that touch on mm -hmm. there, which just it kind of elevates it a little bit for me. I really really like it. So, um, what did you use for like the vocal sounds? Because there's some cool like reverb and delay throws, and there's um, some. I really like the just lushness of it. I think it was just. I don't think it was anything too fancy. I think it's probably just a few Echo Boy. Things a few. I've got the Fab Filter Timeless, which I used for some of the more like like slightly weirder sounds, like the detune delays and stuff. Um, yeah, right. I really like that plugin. Like. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's um, it's it's a bit funny though. I I, I don't know if I like the user interface on it as much as I do like Echo Boy, but it might just be because I'm so used to Echo Boy. It's it's a really good <laughs> deep dive delay. I find for me, I find if I'm like making a if I'm using delay and I'm tracking with it, so I'm using it on like the axe or I've got a, I'm recording a de demo with a delay pedal or something. I use it differently than if I was going to put it on a mix and I just, I surf presets in plugins. Yep. You know, that's close enough. That'll do adjust the mix and that's about it. So, but yeah, I've, I've used timeless a lot. Mm. Um, I think with, like yeah, YouTube stuff. with, um, with the presets in that, there was a, I don't know who it was now, but there, I, I saw like a preset expansion pack for that, like a paid one. And the preset, the um, presets that were in the pack were awesome. Like, yeah, right. Probably better than what was in that is what than what is in the plug-in stock, because the stock ones are cool. But it's like, I, I don't like with Echo Boy as a uh, as a interface and whatnot. If you want it to sound like a DM2, you just click the button that says that. And if you want to make it sound yeah. like it's just a standard tape delay or whatever, it's just really easy. Um, whereas it kind of feels like you need to do a little bit more work to get those in the timeless plugin. But you can surf the presets and find something that has that in the title and then use that as yeah. a starting point. But the, I, I kind of just wish I can go bang, like that's the th that's the thing. But in terms of the ability to tweak it, I mean, you can modulate anything you want with it and duck yeah. stuff, and it's really, really cool. Um, it's just, I mean, I think I, I asked this to Charles, like when you get a, a new piece of software or a new piece of hardware, it's um, like the learning curve of it is sometimes a bit of a pain in the ass. You know, like you kind of need to spend the time to read the manual for it or watch the YouTube videos or whatever. And when you're trying to just maybe not do something quickly, but work efficiently, yeah, it, it's a little tough. So- you know, once you learn a reverb plugin or a compressor or whatever enough, it's just easy to grab that than go to the latest thing. Unless it's like, I mean, there's a million different versions of an 1176 compressor now. So you can pretty much pick any of them and get a sound that's going to be fine that you're after. Um, yeah. I don't know why people still make different ones. Like, you know, people that I know still love the Waves CLA one, yeah. which is 10 something years old now. And it's, it's completely fine. I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, it probably doesn't... It sounds like good. It sounds really good and I use it. Um, yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know, man. It's just this is funny. Yeah, it's how many times can we? How good? It's the same with you know, I guess hardware modeling for guitar amps. Like, how much better can you make the JCM eight hundred sound? You know, either do something that's based off it that's totally different, or you know, we're really going to have like another just single amp plugin, like you know, like that Tom Morello archetype. <laughs> yeah, I did see that. I mean, hey, their business model is obviously spend $50,000 on advertising, make $60,000 in sales. Like <laughs> you've you've got, you know, like that's, that's what hype marketing is, right? And they're very, very good at it. Uh, but hey, to their credit, it's not just like signature plug-in <clears throat> for some prog metal guitar player. But, you know, I remember Tom Morello is the ultimate anti-gear guy. He's like, who cares? I'm really creative. I do weird stuff with gear, yep. you know, like the toggle switch thing. And, you know, if you don't learn it from Ace Freely, you'll learn it from Tom Morello. And it's like, <laughs> you sound like a DJ or he sounds like he's scratching. Cool, man. This is, this is your aesthetic. Um, I saw heaps of people getting, getting into him. Cause it's like, you know, the, the politics side of it, which I was just like, hey, come on, like, why is this, why is this relevant it's more just like to me it's funny because you've always just kind of said none of this stuff matters you know and maybe that's the point hey maybe you actually don't but then again why did they have to model his amp anyway it's just a jcm 800 and it's the crap one as well so <laughs> maybe that's the is point it, what is it a, a 2205 or something i think so yeah that's really funny i'm gonna get some heat for that because i know a lot of people love the 2205 and 2210 but every time i pull out my 2210 it leaves me just wanting more maybe i don't fully appreciate it for what it is but the last time i pulled it out i realized the channel bleed on it is like the worst thing ever so mm. i'm very tempted to just ship that over to jason and say make it a 2203 can you do that with those amps that's the thing maybe probably not it's probably not even worth it because it's so heavy um but it's I've got the awesome old transformers and stuff like that it's just yeah not for me whatever anyway total total yeah same thing with 1176 plugins and LA2As and, you know, tape. Maybe the, the tape saturation thing is like there's uh who's that company, Baby Audio, where they do oh, yeah. the like, you know, they're just kind of fun plugins where it's like, yeah, it's a parallel mixing thing, but it's got a cool <coughs> interface so you use it different or the like the super VHS thing they do. and I quite like that plugin. Um, I use that a little bit. I have the... Delay, which is called, it's got a cool Come name. Comeback Kid. Comeback Kid, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I bought that just because of the Midnight Song, uh, the, uh, the, the yep. song called Comeback Kid, yeah. But yeah, it's just, it's just a fucking delay. It's, it's kind of like I got sucked into it because I thought the interface looked really cool and I probably haven't used it in like two and a half, three years. <laughs> um, it's just so easy to go back to what you know. I think the Super VHS one's different because the chorus in that's really cool. Or the, uh, I think that's what it's called in that, or wash, maybe it's the reverbs, the wash section. But I find that kind of useful to just take a really bland sound and give it a bit more vibe. Um, yeah. But yeah, just a delay. I don't know. But that's why I guess, if anything, that's what you pay for. Uh, sorry, what you pay for is the presets within those delays. Because, yeah, you know, I, I'm still, you know, like I'm pretty boring when it comes to dialing in effects. Part of me really struggles to understand what's okay. 
I, I know I say like everything's good and all that sort of stuff, but like how much reverb should I really use? Is it going to be this much or this much? Because, um, you know, reverbs and delays, they can be such dominating sounds that um, they, you know, they they will just take over and and cloud what the otherwise unaffected sound is. And I'm just always scared to push my luck with it. Um, particularly years ago, like even on drums and stuff, like how what sounds cool to me as a snare reverb is like comes from liking 80s rock music. And that doesn't translate to everything, unfortunately. So yeah. you got to like squash, like put those feelings deep down, you know, really squash them down um, and think in a slightly more modern context. But, but you know, people still use plenty of reverb on, on stuff. It's okay. And I guess it had a bit of a resurgence in the last 10 years. But yeah, I'm still a bit bit scared sometimes. I think the perception, I know for me, was like with reverb where it's like, don't use it because you only have to use a little bit and that's too much. Whereas in reality, like a dock and snare is this much reverb when it just needs to be about that much reverb. Yeah, the way that a lot of those 80 snares are made is kind of fascinating. I I wish I, I kind of need someone from that era like to sit, oh, I need to sit with them. I need to sit with Michael Wagner and say, please just show me how you did this. I yeah. think it's like this, but I'm not brave enough to do that. Do you know what yep. I mean? It's, I need someone to like hold me and tell me it's going to be okay. So, yeah. And who better than Bob Clemountain, if you're listening? Jack, hit us up, Bob. (laughs) You've got, you've definitely got time in your life to just chat to us for a few hours about. So, this specific snare at three minutes 33. Have you, have you watched any interviews with him? Not really. No, I'm, I'm aware of the Bob though. He is just the calmest man. He's just happy to be there. He always just looks like he's woken up. He he is a clear mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he totally is. No, it's like I've watched videos with him, and he's just like rocking around in a CBGB shirt, um, just kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah, this that's cool. He's, and it seems like a nice guy. He's not a he's not like a Jack Joseph Poig fedora aesthetic thing. No, he's uh, yeah. I would love to talk to that guy about stuff, but yeah, man, I think he like. He's too into gear. <laughs> it's um, that's a lot coming from us. Yeah, I'm. I'm less. I'm sort of less into studio gear these these days. I'm. I, I feel like I've really maybe even in the last couple of months of doing this with you. Um, I just feel a bit more kinship with the guitar community than the pro audio community because I feel like I can do everything with Pro Tools. These like, you know, everything in the box, everything with software, all the effects I have. Um, I'm just less inclined to want like hardware compressors and stuff. Like the ones I do have get used sparingly because like I used to, like one thing I did, for example, in the skies track was um, I would have compressed all the kicks and snares and all that sort of stuff going down and EQ'd it a bit. And I really just don't like doing that anymore because the software versions I have, they're not necessarily better, but you know, one thing that I um, like, I've got distressors in my rack there and they sound great on kicks and snares and I've got DBX 160s and stuff and they sound really good in, on stuff too. But if I, if I compress a snare drum by like, let's just say 8 to 10 dB, which is like a reasonable amount, but it has a certain character to it and sound, right? So I've always been, sort of been taught to get the sound going in, right? If you know you're going to compress that snare drum just do it on the recording end and then yeah. it's done. And it's done with analog equipment, which as we all know, theoretically is better than other stuff in quotation marks. But 
one issue is that if you've compressed your snare drum by 10 dB, then you've also brought the like noise floor up or the 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 spill uh-huh, up by 10 right. dB. So if you want to put a gate on there, all of a sudden it is so much more likely to be triggered by your know, like stray like I tom see. hits or whatever. So like I've got the UAD distressor and that sounds amazing. I use that a lot. I use that on everything these days, actually. A lot on guitars. I didn't use it on your stuff, but like clean, it's slightly cleaner guitars. Um, I really like it on. But it's like, you know, I can put the so- the Sony Oxford drum gate on, which is my favorite gate for drums. It's in the name. Put that first. It cleans up all the spill pretty much to exactly what I want. And then I can compress it as much as I like without fear of it. Just, you know. That's actually the best explanation of it that I've heard, of course. Yeah. I mean, so much, so much, I guess, of studio skills that are required and understanding signal flow is just maximizing the signal to noise ratio in your favor, right? Yeah. Like removing stuff you don't want, but then like guitar and guitar stuff is how much noise can you add? You know, it is guitar noises, you know, put cool stuff on and do this. And then you got to capture that, you know, there's this, but even Every, still, like, if you're going to put a noise gate on, oftentimes you put that at the fucking study signal chain, right? Like in the fractals yeah. and stuff. That's where it is because you kill the noise so it doesn't get amplified later on the signal chain. Exactly. And, exactly. you know, in terms of gating in studio, you can do it. Like you could put a patch of hardware gate in before, but then if it doesn't trigger in the, on the very light sound, then that sound is not recorded. So you're stuffed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm pretty sure on here today, like that, might have even been that song there is um so much ride spill in the snare drum because i would have been doing like 20 db of compression on that snare thinking that's the way i had to do it um so i think i'm pretty sure it's that song yeah trying to gate out and get like a clean clear snare drum on that oh you know if it's not that it would have been um all i want it was one of those two songs right a title track from one of your early eps title Um, of song but yeah, it was like impossible to, to do it. And it was just operator error. It's like fucking being 23, 24 and thinking you knew it, you had to do everything. And in fact, just, you know, you watch other people and you, you get like 80% of the information right and forget the other 20 and therefore you end up with something you don't like so much. So anyway, it's funny, man. Um, I feel bad. This has been such a studio centric um, episode. So hopefully people are still kind of. Hopefully about people that. just go and, go and listen to the song and can listen to the sounds we made for it. So, and it's, uh, it's been, it's, I found it, yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of go through this and, you know, talk about the process. And it's obviously a big set of questions are like, oh, I know you like these things, but how do you actually record them and how, how much of an impact does it have? So, I mean, even the fact that I could just record the solo at home, send it to you, forget about doing it and then have you bring it up in the session and go, oh yeah, there it is. That's fine. And then, you know, I've got the DIs. So if I want to like learn it properly, I can do that. But it's more a case of like, you know, so I've had to spend the last couple of weeks like really A, learning the solo, then B, practicing it, standing up and then C, <laughs> we haven't played it live before. So I've got to like, I got to I got to visualize how I'm going to do it and where I'm going to be and what buttons I have to press. There's this whole you know, I've learned the hard way. It's like I'm going to play a new song and play the solo and be satisfied with it. There's there's all this other stuff that comes with it. So it's kind of been nice just to oh, there's the track. I can just listen to it and then I can and get the hard part out of the way and then hopefully just get onto the 
semi-enjoyable part, which is playing it. Yep. Learning it like a cover song, mate. Exactly. It is just a cover song in my brain. It's it's I reckon it's taken until I was listening to it yesterday in the car again. And I've been through the the however many stages of you know grief. Grief. <laughs> where it's like now I'm okay with it. I'm like, yeah, it's there's there's some cool things on there and I can listen to it and enjoy it as a song. And you know, just I'm looking forward to playing it live because uh, what, look, I know we've taken up a lot of time before we go. People will hear it. There's a drum fill coming out of the, oh, yeah. there's a solo, then there's a riff, then there's a drum fill into the last chorus, which <laughs> the phrase that was uttered, and this gets uttered a lot when we're arranging songs, more so than writing songs. It was like, we could do this, or you could do this, but you could add this little thing that's really, really weird. What should we do? And we all go, yeah, people are going to find that weird. Oh, well, fuck people, we'll put it in. And then listening to it, you know, years later, being like, why did we make that decision? So we've had to learn how to actually play that part. Yep. Uh, yeah. It's and real weird. It's um, it's real weird. We can do it. Well, we've been able to do it in rehearsal, like, really consistently. So it's how gone through. How do you count it? How do you count it? You don't. Literally, okay. literally just listen to the drums. Um, there's a... But you're not playing as a track, are you? No, no, no. So you just like uh, Cam's going to do the fill, and then you guys Cam just come does in. The fill, and we just we just do it, yeah. and it's just all right. Uh, watch us not do it live. Um, that's kind of the how these things often happen. But what helped for me is the pickup in the song. Normally, the chord plays a bit, and then the first syllable lasts for one rhythmic unit, mm-hmm. and then you move to the next chord for the next syllable. So in that chorus, you just on that syllable play the chord once and then move. So that's how I've chunked it in my head. It's okay. like I listen to the drums and I listen to the vocals and I know that I go uh, uh, with the chords just for that bit. So there's a real, real, once you've listened to the song a few times, you know what I mean. I'd encourage anyone to try and A, if anyone can figure out the exact chords that I'm playing because it's a typical Dion thing where it's like just some power chords with a note on top. Mm-hmm. That stays the same. So, yeah, there's some there's some interesting stuff in there. Yeah, that's I'm, cool. I'm looking forward to people hearing it and being like, "Oh yeah, cool. Sounds like Nickelback, bro." <laughs> Mate, one song sounds like Nickelback. One sounds like King's X. Who gives? Who cares? Fuck people. Well, I feel like we've done the Creed to Nickelback uh, great circle of life. So, anything else you want to add before we finish up today, Troy? Well, look, mate. There's still four other songs in various states of. Um, of completion so hopefully they'll get done eventually i think that song nostalgia is really cool um there's yeah, videos of what we want to do next there's videos of leon in the studio like tracking the parts for that which was which was really fun um but yeah that'll be look out 2026 yeah 20 mate 2028 that one will be out yep um but yeah otherwise um Man, it's been, a, it's been a cool convo. The episode with Charles will come out this week or next week or whenever. I'm not certain when this is going to go up. We're about a week ahead at the moment, just so everyone's aware. Um, I think like I oh, maybe it was the last episode that came out, but I made some comments about um, where... Oh, no. Yeah, that's right. Last week's episode that came out, I think I said I was just getting Kalgoorlie and I'm sick. And I was like, oh, that was actually the week before that. So you feel better. I'm yeah, much you're better recovered. now. I'm all all back to normal. The gear podcast timeline is very convoluted, but yep. all that matters is that people enjoy listening and tuning in. So thank you to everybody again. We hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, leave your comments on the YouTube video or the podcast app that you're listening on. And 
we'll see you all next week and go and listen to the new music that we made you might you might like it you might not if you don't doesn't matter fuck you enjoyed it yeah exactly see ya